morning, Applewood family. Welcome back to Church Online. I'm excited to get to be with you all. I know times are different and things are strange, but I'm so grateful for the technology that we have and the opportunity that we can still share together and meet together in a new way. Um, I know that you all can see me and I can't see you, but just know that I'm picturing you sitting here in my living room with me. It's nice and cozy and we can learn about Mark and what um, what happened with Jesus there together. So the past couple months we've been walking through Mark and we've seen that Jesus calls for repentance. He says his kingdom is coming, it's near. He's calling for change and for us to start interacting with each other in a different way. So let's start with a little background to Mark 12. That's where we're going to be today. We know that Jesus is in Jerusalem now. He's been um, with his disciples and talking with the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Sadducees, and they keep trying to trick him up in his words. We've heard last week that they asked him questions to try and catch him. They weren't necessarily looking for information um, because their people are following Jesus. All these crowds are their people. And so they want to try and trick Jesus in his, in his words and um, get him to say something wrong that will turn people away from him or get him in trouble with the Roman government. So they keep asking him all these questions. They're trying to get rid of him. If you have your Bible handy, let's open up to Mark 12, and we're going to start at verse 28. I'll give you just a second to flip open to that. Mark 12, 28. We're going to go through verse 34. Let's read together. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So we know the religious leaders are trying to trip up Jesus in his words. But here in verse 28, we come across a new leader, um, a teacher of the law. He's a scribe who's heard them debating, and he realized that Jesus has given a good answer. So this man was another leader he was an expert in the law. A scribe's job was to copy down and interpret the laws and regulations of the Jewish people. And by now they had hundreds of those. So when Mark says that he noticed that Jesus had given the Sadducees a good answer, I think we need to take note of that because we don't often see the religious leaders acknowledging a good answer from Jesus. It's a rare thing. 
So this scribe realized that Jesus knows what he's talking about, and then he goes on to ask Jesus a question. It's possible that this particular scribe was not trying to trick or trap Jesus in his words with his question. We don't really know that for sure. Um, it's also possible that it's a question he had debated in his circles and with other leaders, and maybe he just wanted a good answer to take back to them, a different perspective or something that he could take back and talk about with his buddies. So the scribe asked Jesus a question about which command is the most important. So he's assuming that the commands have different weights, like some are more important than others. So if I asked you, which of the Ten Commandments is the most important, what would you say? How would you rate observing the Sabbath compared to, let's say, not murdering someone? We have this tendency to rank things and to try to decide which ones we should definitely do and which ones are maybe more like a guideline. So the teacher of the law was asking Jesus, okay, what's the most important one for me to work on? And by the way, he wasn't just talking about the Ten Commandments. He was asking about all of the commandments, which had grown to 613 laws by then. They had some different interpretations about which laws were light, and that meant that they were a little um, more flexible. And then they had laws that were heavy, meaning these were mandatory. You had to keep them. Of those laws, 248 of them were positive. That meant do this, do that. And 365 of them were negative or don't do this type of laws. That's one for every day of the year. Can you imagine keeping track of all of those and trying to follow them? It's a ton of laws. And so what the scribe is asking Jesus is really this. He's saying, I can't possibly keep all of these laws. So what should I do? What is essential for me to do? You know, God gave the law as a temporary fix between when sin came into the world and when he sent the Messiah to redeem us. The law pointed people to the character of God. He's holy. He's just. He's righteous. He's without sin. It revealed his attributes and gave them a way to be close to him. But it also revealed the impossibility of being perfect, of being able to meet that holiness. So now we have the Messiah in the picture. He's there talking to them, and the people don't really get it just yet. But he's answering this question of what they need to do. And you know what he uses? He uses scripture to answer them. So Jesus' answer to the scribe comes directly from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5, which is the Shema. And I love the Shema. It essentially means to hear and obey. It was a big deal. This is something that the Jewish people would recite twice a day. It's something that they had ingrained on their hearts that they passed down from generation to generation. It's um, something that they were more than familiar with. It's something that was deeply, deeply rooted in their hearts. So this scribe that asked Jesus the question, he would know it well. And the Shema says, 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Now you all do this, right? Every day. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. From the second you get up till you go to bed at night. This one gets me. It makes me take stock of my day. When I woke up was my first thought, love for God. As I stumbled out of bed, was my heart rejoicing in the Lord? Not just thinking about Him, but loving Him. You know, we should probably go back to the basic question. What is love? What does it mean to love God with everything that you are? Now at this part, we would maybe have a neighbor question and talk to each other about that. I'm just going to give us a little pause and I want you to think about it. What does it mean to love God with everything that you are? If you have someone there at home with you, go ahead and talk about it for a second. See what you come up with. So. What came to mind? What does it mean to love God with all that you are? How do you do on this command? Is it something that you believe is essential to your life? I think when we take into account who God is and what he's done for us through Jesus and in our lives, we have to agree that it is important. It's vital. He's absolutely worth all that we are. So let's look at this. What does it mean to love God with everything? Let's start with your heart and your soul. Those are the essence of who you are. It's where you feel things. It's where your passion lies. You're not just saying that you love him, but you really feel it deep down in your core with everything that you are. God has given us this great ability to feel. And the best thing that we can do with that is to love him. Then with your mind, we know that it's not just a feeling. It's an intelligent love. It's choosing Him. It's learning about Him, making a mental decision to love Him. It's studying who He is and His will for your life and thinking about Him. Then, loving God with all your strength has to do with the things that you do, your actions. You make choices all day long about what to do and what to say. And those choices reflect who and what you love. Is your love for God reflected in what you do? I want you to hang on to these ideas about loving God with all that you are as we take a look at the second part of Jesus' answer because they're tied closely together. So Jesus adds a second part to the command to love the Lord your God with everything that you are. He says, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. Again, this comes from scripture. Leviticus 19.18 says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. Again, this is something that these Jewish leaders would have been very familiar with. They would have understood it. Now, in this context, Jesus doesn't necessarily mean that the command is second, like after the first one. Because 
Imagine this. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, everything that you are. And then with whatever's left, you can love your neighbor. That doesn't really work, does it? Because if you love God with all that you are, then what is left? So it's really that loving your neighbor flows out of your love for God. Um, if you're loving God with all that you are, then you can love your neighbor as yourself. It's part or an extension of loving God. So, assuming that we're loving God with all we are, how do we love each other as ourselves? We've all heard the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We teach our kids this when they're so young. You know, we teach them, share your toys because you would want that person to share with you. Um, you know, I'm going to open the door for you because I would love it if you open the door for me. I'm going to be kind to you because that's what I want to have in my life. Now, I don't know how many of you have had the delightful opportunity of going through the school pickup line. Uh, that's one of the blessings of these last couple weeks that we haven't had to sit in the school pickup line. Um, praise Jesus for that. But I think about the golden rule a lot when I'm there. Um, and I think of it because it just doesn't seem to happen there. I find myself asking the car in front of me, would you really want someone to pull sideways in front of you and block up the whole rest of the line? And then I think, I wonder if they would say, Oh yes, I would be totally fine with that. So I find the school pickup line to be a very spiritual place for me. I don't know about you, but it's very educational for me. You know, we often have opinions on how someone else should love us like they love themselves. Well, if you believe in Jesus, then you should act how I want you to. If you love Jesus, you should do what I say or what I want because if you don't, then you aren't really loving me and you aren't following his commands. Have you been there? Have you felt these things? This idea of judging how other people should love, we can't do it. For one thing, we can't control other people. That's just not our job. We can live as an example, but that's it. We can't control how other people are going to act. And we might have a totally different idea of the golden rule that they do. Um, let's say, for example, I come across someone who holds a part of scripture in a different light than I do, and they want to hold me to their interpretation of it. I may feel that they're being legalistic. I may wonder where their grace is. But to them, they're showing love by holding me to this truth. So we have to humble ourselves. We need to approach people with humility and the notion that love may look different than what we expect. We don't get to command it or determine it, but we can respond to them and love ourselves. You know, in our house, we talk a lot about the idea that you are responsible for your own actions. You don't control what other people do. I would add that we should not even dictate what others should be expected to do as hard as that is. But we can take our lead from the Holy Spirit, from Scripture, from prayer, from all that we know about God and what He would have us do to show love. When Jesus says to love God and love your neighbor, 
It's up to you to choose the things to do that follow these commands, regardless of anyone else. God holds us responsible for the things that we do, not what other people do. It's about your heart and your choices and your love. I think in a way, that can be a relief to us. I think it can lift that weight off of our shoulders of trying to have control over how other people love. It gives us freedom to just worry about our own relationship with God and how we're obeying Him. As we choose for ourselves how to love, we may still be asking, what is essential? What do I do to love well? Let's turn over to 1 Corinthians 13, starting with verse 4, to see what Paul has to say about love. He says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. You know, love shows in our actions. How do we know that love is patient? It means you don't explode out of frustration when someone does something you don't like. You don't post rash comments on social media about somebody who believes something different than you. How do we know that love doesn't dishonor others? We choose to avoid gossiping about someone or saying mean things about someone who's hurt you. I think this list from Paul is a really good start. It's not all-inclusive, but it's a good lens through which we can, cho- we can view our actions and see if we're choosing love. In any situation, we can ask ourselves, what does love require of me here? And then do that. I'll be honest, it can be hard to love others sometimes. I struggle with it. There's there's people that I struggle showing love to. Sometimes it's because they have a picture of the things I need to do to be loving to them. Sometimes I don't feel like they deserve it. Have you been there? But we always, always have a choice. We can choose to be kind instead of acting out of anger or hurting. We can choose love. It may take a prayer in that instant to ask the Holy Spirit for control and to be able to follow his lead. It may mean making an unpopular decision, but one that you know is loving. But again, we can go back to God and go back to the responsibility that he has given us for our own actions and humbly start there. You know, we don't always love ourselves well. We may put ourselves in positions of importance sometimes, but I think other times we can be pretty hard on ourselves too. In that case, if we have a distorted view of ourselves, we aren't going to love others well either. Now, I'm not promoting a self-centeredness or an egocentric view of ourselves. I think our culture can push us too far into the whole self-care thing. And I know that self-care is important. But we have to be careful that we don't push too far and focus on ourselves more than on God. Remember, we love Him first and then others. And and that includes loving ourselves. Um, Paul has some good words for us there too. 
In Romans 12.3, he says, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. We can look at ourselves through God's eyes, through what he tells us in his word. We know that we are made in his image and that he sacrificed his son in order to be able to be close in relationship with him and to redeem all of creation. He did this for you. Once we live into this truth ourselves, then we can extend it beyond ourselves to other people. The person sitting next to you, your neighbor next door, everyone you come across has been made in this image of God, and he loves them dearly. So we're loving God, and we know that he loves them, and it follows then that we can love others out of that. We can love others with his agape love, his unconditional, sacrificial love. And I think God understands loving each other as yourself. Think about the Trinity for a second. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all living together in community, doing, each, doing what is best for each other, loving each other. I imagine it's something like a dance. Like they take turns leading and following. It's graceful. It's flowing. It's peaceful. And I think that's our example. That's where we can see a perfect love. Love for God and love for each other. I really can't wait to see that more fully once we get to heaven. But for now, I think we can start with that example. Let's go back to the law for a second. Jesus did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. This command to love God with all that you are and to love your neighbor as yourself covers all of the law. If you love God, you're going to put him first. You won't take his name in vain. You won't put idols in front of him. If you love your neighbors, you won't lie to them or steal from them. You won't covet what they have. You won't hurt them, right? So all the law is covered within these two commands to love God and love others. It's not our salvation to do this. We're still saved through Jesus. But now we have this responsibility to live how Jesus commands. He says, if you love me, obey my commands. So we can do this. But we aren't going to get it right all the time. I sure don't. The first command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. How many of us can honestly admit that we don't do this all the time? Sometimes we don't do it well. Sometimes we don't do it at all. There's this thing called self that gets in the way. Self gets in the way of loving our neighbors too. But here's the good news. Jesus knew that we couldn't get it right on our own. He knew that on our own we're weak and we get distracted and we mess up. So how do we even start? Why don't we just give up? Let me ask you this though. How can we possibly give up when we know God and we know who he is? We know that he's worthy of all that we are. Fortunately, Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit. 
a guide, a counselor, a helper, a friend. We can follow the lead of the Holy Spirit to do the will of God, which includes loving Him and loving others. In the moment, I believe that He can help us to stay focused so that we can follow Him, so that we can do the things that love calls us to do. But we need to commit to being aware of the Spirit's presence in our lives. Now this can come through prayer, through reading our Bible, through um, connecting with others, talking with others. Uh, also, by being in community. And I know right now being in community looks a lot different than what we're used to. But I hope and pray that it is forcing us to think of ways to connect with others in new and different ways. I hope that we are being intentional in developing some new habits about loving others that will far outlast this coronavirus. What I love about all of this is that because Jesus commands it, we can do it. With the help of the Spirit, we can love God with all that we are, and we can love others. We can be a part of His kingdom coming here. When the scribe agreed with Jesus and said it was a good answer, Jesus tells him he's not far from the kingdom of God. It's like he's saying, yes, you get this, now go do it. So this is how we honor God and how we reach others. This is how we share the good news, is by loving God and loving each other. So let's ask him for all the help that we need to do that well. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Thank you for giving us your spirit and giving us the ability to love well. Lord, we don't always love well, and I pray that you will help us to continue learning throughout our lives how to do better, how to look to you, how to look to your commands. I pray that you will instill in us a love for others. Point us towards you and help us to do what you would have us to do to show love. In your name, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in, Applewood family. I so look forward to when we can be together in person again and share our stories and time in community. Until then, let's keep loving each other. Let's keep reaching out and finding ways to connect. Thank you. Get in.